0: Here's your microphone. What's that? This is your microphone. Okay. Do you want me to stand here? Yeah, would you just stand here the whole time and hold that for me? Are you ready? Yeah. It's rolling. You want this in, though? Like that. I'm going to hold it like this. It is on? It is on. Okay. All right. We uh, have been on a series for quite a while. We'll go through this year on asking the question, what is a godly man? And, and I hope, you know, you go once a month and usually, you know, you forget what you heard the month before and I'll review here quickly And but uh, my goal is, you know, we, we look back and we think oh, I could be a better father could have been a better husband but you, you can't think like that <laughs> if you do, you're just you're gonna be depressed. We're all works in progress as fathers, as husbands, and uh, but the word that we receive and and this book I was telling Kathy is written by Doctor Clarence Boyd, and it's it's more academic and it's it's not an easy book to read. So I've been trying to go through this and take apart you know uh, bits and pieces. Today I'm just going to read to you from it and uh but you know just just keep focused on you know the future and what can i do different and how can i be a better husband how can i be a better father and god will, by the spirit will show you so let's let's go ahead we've already prayed but let's review here quickly and i won't spend a lot of time then we're going to get into some new new information we said our purpose is to discover god's original plan and purpose for true manhood we want to challenge you as men of God to become the husbands, fathers, and leaders that God has intended you and I to be. We said our scripture was, our text was from 1 Corinthians 13, verse 11. It states, When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. So, bottom line, man, we need to grow up. I'm 60. And you'd think by the time you're at age sixty, Lonnie, you'd probably mature. But I know there's areas in my life yet I, I'm still a work in progress. How about you? Yes. We all are, you know. But you can't beat yourself up. You just gotta stay focused and and get the word in you. We said this was our central truth that we talked about. It. it says, God is a generational God, and often the purpose for a man's life is to be fulfilled in his seed or by others into whom he has imparted vision. And, you know, we stop and think about that. We're going to be gone someday. We're going to take our last breath, but our kids and our grandkids are going to still be here, God willing. And, and all of us as men of God hope that we... Put something in them Amen. that they're going to remember who their creator is and love their God and want to know their God. And uh, a lot of times, you know, you have a vision God puts in your heart as a man and, and you don't fulfill that vision, but your kids can fulfill that vision. But the important thing is, you know, I want my boys. Uh, I uh, It's highly unlikely, and I could be wrong. I I don't think my boys are going to be pastors. My boys aren't going to be five-fold ministry gifts. But I want my my boys to fulfill what God's called them to be. I've never forced anything on them. And and don't do that to your kids. Don't force them to, to be like you. Too many ministers try to make ministers out of their kids, and their kids aren't called to be ministers. And then their lives are miserable. So, you know, just pray, and that's what we talked about as men of God, we're supposed to pray and seek God, not only for our own lives, but for the lives of our mate and our kids. Amen? Amen. We said men can only comprehend their identities and purposes from their Creator. This is what we, this is our review. We said purpose is important because it provides direction. Purpose addresses the question why. God desires to nurture his children until they understand their callings or purposes in life. You know, some of us, it it took me a little while to find out what I was called to be. And uh, so you've got to give your kids some time. And uh, usually the, the wife or the mother is the one that will do the nurturing. And we talked about this word. Nurture is the act or process of raising or promoting the development of training, educating, or fostering. We said a father must provide training, education, and life skills that promotes growth and awareness of purpose. So we, we talked about that. Find out what trips your kids trigger. I told you this and you've heard me talk about that when when Caleb was in Kathy's womb, she prayed, "Oh Father, I, I pray that my that my child, you know, I don't think she knew it was a boy yet, but uh my my kid will love the outdoors." So, did he an- did did he an- God answer her prayer? He loves trapping. He loves hunting. I mean, this is his passion. Now you're not gonna make a lot of money doing that, unless you're a taxidermist. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, that's his passion. Micah's passion, you know, is is guns. And and so more than likely, and it's not always this way, but whatever your passion is, God put that in in you or put that in your kid and it's your responsibility as a parent it's my responsibility as a parent to nurture that child that son or daughter and and find out what they're good at and then kind of gently push them in that direction can't force them but you can sure provide opportunities and i'll tell you what with caleb i i never grew up deer hunting I didn't really, wasn't interested. But you know what? Dad had to find out how to shoot a deer. Dad had to take the kid to Cabela's. Not only Dad, but we've had, Brian was very instrumental in, in, in promoting that too in, in the boys' lives. But I had to take him to Cabela's, had to get him a bow and arrow. There's, it takes investment, it takes your time as a father, it takes money as a father. Amen. And if you're not willing to do that, don't expect your kids to find out what they're called to be. Amen? And uh, so it's important that you do that. We said God the Father's heart is to cover His own, which is you and I. Until they discover their giftings and become committed to maximizing their potential. We said one maximizes his or her potential when they realize where he was created to fit in this life. The place where a person fits is also the place where he can make his contribution. We said men must prayerfully seek the will of God concerning their wives and children. Not just you Not just me, but you and I, as husbands and fathers, we need to seek God and pray about our kids, what they're called to be. We said men must prayerfully... Seek the will of God concerning the wives and children. Both the husband and the wife must pursue one another's purposes and nurture each other's giftings so that each walks in maturity. This will produce a blessed relationship in which each spouse contributes to the health and well-being of the other. Fathers must faithfully pursue God's purpose for each child. I was downtown at this Fork Fest... Just standing in line, and I, Micah always gets exasperated with me because I can go up to anybody and just start talking. And it just, what do you do that, Dad? Just don't, you don't need to talk to everybody. And I don't know if he's ashamed of that. I, but I, I don't care what he thinks. I'm, I'm going And there was this nice young couple, and I look and they had, they had uh, twins. And I look down and there's another one and i look over there and there's another one so i said i looked at the guy just point blank i said how do you do this how do you take care of all these kids and they were so young i said when do you go out did two of you go out yeah about once every two months mm-hmm. i said i mean my gosh i said i raised two boys and that was tough enough and you got twins and you got two other little ones mm-hmm. but to think the, as a parent they have a responsibility to nurture those kids and raise those kids. And and you know, I I shake my head sometimes in disbelief how some parents can do that because their quiver's totally full. Two was enough for me. Amen? Amen. Some of you maybe had more than that, and and uh that's all right too. Um We're gonna go on now and we're gonna answer some questions. And the author poses these questions, and this is the central truth. This is what we're going to talk about. Men were created in the image and likeness of God. Do you agree? Yes, He's a spirit being. We're created in, in his likeness. As a result, man is responsible to reflect who God is or to mirror the heart and mind of God to others. And this is pretty heavy stuff. <laughs> Stop and think about it. If sons are to know what it means to be men, then their fathers must be examples they can mirror. Now let me say that statement once more. Men were created in the image and likeness of God. As a result, man is responsible to reflect who God is or to mirror the heart and mind of God to others. If sons are to know what it means to be man, then their fathers must be examples they can mirror. That's pretty heavy stuff. We are supposed to be the examples to our kids so that they can say, well, that's the way my dad is. This is how he acts. This is how he conducts his life. This is how he talks. This is the right. This is what I am to follow. But how many kids have that privilege of having a parent that know how to conduct themselves, know how to act, know how to talk, know how to relate to other people? So, it's a, it's a awesome responsibility as a parent that we're supposed to be examples of Christ and then our kids are supposed to follow that. Amen? Now, I'm going to read you some scriptures I wrote down because this word example is in the New Testament. But in 1 Peter chapter two twenty one it says, for to, for to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example. That you should follow his steps. 1 Timothy 4.12, the Apostle Paul told young Pastor Timothy, he says, But be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. And then in Philippians chapter 3 verse 17, Paul says, Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. So you and I are supposed to be patterns to our kids. How many have ever blown it? Oh, yeah. Just me? <laughs> we've all we've all blown it you know and I, i'm not proud of this but I, you know i'm just going to tell you from my own life i've i've missed it but i look at you and i can say you've all missed it too i just read recently i was listening to your show abe about was it were you talking about drivers was that this week yeah and what city in in the united states has the worst record as far as drivers did, I didn't know that I heard that on your and it was interesting and and uh, in fact I just took Micah dad took Micah down t- to a, a, take a gun class and uh, but after driving in Kentucky Omaha's a piece of cake <laughs> but I'll never forget this and I'm just sharing this with you okay? and you're not going to think less of me are you if I open up and tell you what I did, Mm-mm. okay, because I had to repent. We're in Omaha driving years ago, and the boys were little. And I, maybe I've told you this—I don't know. I'm not proud of it, but there was—we were driving up on Dodge, and we got to the oh shopping center, and some guy um, pulled out in front of me. I mean, just literally pulled out in front of me. And I'm Caleb says this. He's at my funeral. He's going to quote something out of Tombstone about me being high strong. There's a line in there when Val Kilmer tells the guy, "You just was too high strong," because I can be high strong. And before I thought of it, I gave the guy the universal sign. <laughs> <laughs> And my boys, and don't look at me like you're so holy. I haven't seen nothing wrong so far. Oh. <laughs> you live in California. I bet mean, you've seen about everything in California. And I was so mad. And Caleb was little, Micah, I don't know. Yeah, Micah was little too. And They couldn't believe what I did. Well, I had to, to remind me of the story you and your dad, <laughs> about your dad. Yeah. I wasn't proud of that. And (laughs) do you know what? This is the truth. They've never forgotten it. (laughs) And they'll never forget it. And they'll probably tell their their kids about Grandpa in Omaha doing that. Now, am I proud of that? No, I'm not proud. I wish I hadn't done that. And it's going to live on forever, Nate. It's going to be a story told about me forever. But do you see what I'm saying? One instant, one wrong action, one wrong word can affect your kids. So my goal is not to ever do that with my grandkids. I missed it with my kids. You know, have has have they seen have I done worse probably? Have you probably? But I'm I'm just betting and I'm I'm just believing I've done more right than I've done wrong. Amen. And I believe that. Okay? Now, here's some questions. Um these are questions that must be addressed and if I don't get through all this, we won't I won't go on long, but these are questions that must be addressed if sons or daughters are to fulfill their destinies. And these are questions that that you can ask yourself and I'm going to, the author asks them and then he answers them. So I'm going to read this. These are the questions. What does God represent? What are His standards? How does God act and what is the heart or character of God? So let me start there and read this. He says, what does God represent? It has already been revealed that God represents truth. Everyone say truth. truth. A high premium is, premium is placed on truth because God uses truth to set man free. This is the nature of the Father. It has always been His intention to to first reveal Himself to man and then to have man represent or mirror His image to others. This is how God desires to be known. He wants man to be witnesses of His truth in the earth. God is also a righteous God. He's a moral being who represents what is right and and wills that all creation would benefit from being right and then doing right. This is why we're called to treat one another in the same manner when we want to be, tr- when we want to be treated that way. The world is full of sin and sin represents disorder. Wherever sin is present, things tend to be out of order. That's good. Man's responsibility is to maintain God's order in the earth. Whose responsibility is it to maintain order at home? After all, the Father gave man the responsibility to walk in dominion. This is why it is so important for the man to lead because his purpose is to provide covering for others. Wise people often say, you cannot lead where you've not been. You cannot tell, you, tell what you do not know. You cannot share what you do not have. A leader must be ahead of the people he is leading. The man must accept the responsibility and call to be the spiritual leader of his house. He must understand this is a spiritual battle and souls are at stake. The point is that some of these souls are his responsibility. Men must be responsible for their own homes, ensuring that their family members are not bound by the enemy. Finally, men must be good stewards. One of the major responsibilities of a steward is to realize that everything he has is but a trust from God. I like that. No man begins as an independent person. Children receive covering and nurture from parents until they're able to make it on their own. Husbands and wives build a life together so they can perpetuate themselves through their children, fulfilling the plan of God to multiply and fill the earth. But this responsibility also includes providing guidance pointing the children in the right direction and sharing with them truth so that they mature in their quest to do right and avoid wrong. So, you and I represent truth in our family, in our households. And uh, that's God the Father's way. That's His standard. Amen? Then he goes on, he says, what are His standards specifically? This is... A very good question because it has a lot to do with how God revealed himself to man. God wants man to know him. He desires that his presence would be represented in the earth. All creation reflects God's presence, but in order for man to appreciate God's presence, they must accept his standards. The Bible reveals that God's standard is the law. Say, God's standard standard is is the law. God revealed himself to his people by giving them the Ten Commandments. This was God's formal way of introducing himself to his people, Israel. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. It is also his way of revealing what he expects from his people. Men struggle with the law. This is probably because men in and of themselves are not able to keep the law, but the real problem is not the law itself. God gave the law to protect man. The role of the law is to represent the standards of the Father. If one breaks the law, the same law condemns the lawbreaker. However, if one does not break the law, then the law protects him. Fundamentally speaking, laws are created because someone does something that he should not do. Thus, a law is created to protect others from the same thing being done to them. This is why the only people who go to jail should be those convicted of breaking the law. Because of sin or the sin nature, man's ability to live according to the Father's standards had been greatly compromised. As a result, God sent His only Son, Jesus, into the world to represent His standard when all others had failed. In other words, Jesus was the only man able to live His life in a way that was acceptable to the Father. Man's ability to meet the expectations of the Father are the result of grace. What God has done for man that he could not do for himself. God gave his only son as a sacrifice for man's failures. The sacrificial death of Jesus paid the price for all man's failures and provides an opportunity for man to be restored in right relationship with the Creator. This happens by faith. Men must accept God's sacrificial gift and believe that Jesus died for their sins. Jesus represents God's standard now in the earth. The only way to the Father is through the Son. If men want to know the standard of the Father, they need only seek the Son. And the sad thing is, in many households, (laughs) Christian households or religious households, they're still under the law. They have a... Parents, you can have a lot of laws for your kids. Amen? And expect them to follow all these laws. But if they don't, point the way to jesus christ and if those kids at an early age don't don't receive christ you know you can't live your life you can try to live your life by every law but they need to have a real relationship with jesus christ and experience god's grace and god's mercy so jesus christ is the standard amen everything we do in, in the household and as we raise our kids should point to christ yeah, you, the, the Ten Commandments, I realize that, but, you know, we need to push Jesus. He's the ultimate example. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now, um, he asked the question, how does God act? So, when, as I read this to you, you know, we, we as husbands, we as fathers, we represent truth. We point the way to Jesus for our kids. He's the ultimate example. And then, how does God act? He says, Chancellor Earl Roberts declared that God is a good God. That's just, you know, good God, bad devil. This means that God can only act one way. It is His nature to do good. That is simply who He is. In other words, God is naturally good. This means that good is what He naturally does. How many, how many people blame God for everything that goes on in this world? And if you don't have an understanding that Satan is the god of this world, and he runs this world, basically, the natural world order, you're going to be confused. God ultimately is a good God. The devil is a bad devil. It's that simple. It says, this point must be illustrated. Birds naturally fly, fish naturally swim, humans naturally sin. If men were allowed to do whatever they wanted to do without any consequences, most likely they would sin, they would do wrong. Please do not minimize this revelation. All men struggle with doing good because they must realize that before they can, can do good, they must become good. This is a problem for mankind. And the Apostle Paul shares a truth with man to which every man can relate. And this is from Romans 7. Let me read it to you. Paul said, We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual. Soul is a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that it is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Can you relate to that? You desire to do the right thing, but you, just, you don't do the right thing. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Every man, the author says, struggles with how to do right while avoiding wrong. This is why the concepts gleaned from studying the life of David is so important. He's described as a man after God's own heart, but he was yet human in, in that he was not perfect but flawed. Was he flawed? Yep. Did he make big mistakes? But yet he's he in the Bible he's known as the man after God's own heart. He said... Uh, um, he is described as a man after God's own heart, but he was yet human in that he was not perfect but flawed. Romans twelve twenty one states, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The fact remains, evil is present always and is determined to overcome men. The problem men face is that the good needed to overcome evil is not within them. David faced this same reality in his life. Even after he failed, he had to realize he needed something beyond his natural limitations, something more than his mistakes he made. In reality, it needed to be life-transforming to the point where he would not make the same mistake again. The next assumption drawn from 1 Samuel 16 reveals that God had rejected Saul as king over his people, Israel. Saul was no longer able to represent God as the fatherly covering over Israel. There's a correlation between the positions of king and father. The enemy has deceived men into thinking they can be kings without being fathers. Fathering represents the very heart of God. Say that with me. Fathering represents the very heart of God. Though he is the king of kings, he is always Father. One thing must be understood about the Lord. He will not allow anyone to compromise His glory. He demands reverence just because of who He is. He desires to use men to represent His ways in the earth. It must be understood that this requires obedience. Saul's problem was arrogance. He became bigger than life in his own eyes. God had commanded Saul to attack and destroy the Amalekites for the way they had mistreated Israel when they came up from Egypt. Saul was was supposed to destroy every living thing. He was not to spare any living soul, men, women, children, or infants. In fact, Saul was even to destroy all livestock. Notice that God gave these instructions to Saul, and he was to represent God's will to the people. This was a test of leadership and God expected Saul to lead. Personal leadership has to do with obedience while corporate leadership is always about vision. God does not just look at what one does in obedience, but also the way in which he one does it. This has to do with the ability of the leader to cast God's vision to the people. Saul was to destroy the Amalekites and leave nothing alive. Did Saul have the heart of God as his sole priority? Saul wanted so much to be king that he forgot about being a father. One test of a true leader is whether he will obey the Lord even in the midst of peer pressure. Is there any peer pressure out there today for your kids? Saul obviously succumbed to the pressure of the people by allowing them to return with the best of the livestock. This disobedience was further complicated by the fact that Saul spared Agag, king of the Amalekites, and brought him back. Saul was deceived and felt he'd done everything the Lord had commanded of him. And when confronted by Samuel the prophet, he blamed the people. The problem with this response was the fact that he was the leader. Now listen to this statement. This is, this is really good. I underline this. No father is to be led by his children. No father is to be led by his children. Who does the leading? The father. But how many fathers sit down in the natural sit down spiritually, and allow their kids to just do whatever. If Saul had led in obedience, he would never have been in this position. Samuel shared the father's reply to King Saul from 1 Samuel 15, verse 22. Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he's rejected you as a king. God described Saul's disobedience as rebellion and arrogance. It must be the priority of man to obey the word of the Lord. I'm going to say that again. It must be the priority of men to obey the word of the Lord. This must begin in the heart and then manifest in one's pursuit of the Father's will. Because Saul's heart was not after God, he was rejected by the Father as king over Israel. Finally notice God sent Samuel to Bethlehem because he had already chosen the next king of Israel. Remember that God does not tolerate leadership gaps. He will always have a remnant in the earth. Those who are totally committed to His word, if a man fails to obey His command and becomes arrogant and rebellious, that man forfeits the favor of God on his life. This also results in the removal of that man from whatever position of leadership he had had that represented the Father's heart to others. It is sad that Saul held selfishness and pride in greater priority than the submission of the heart and the will of his Heavenly Father. So, questions that must be addressed if sons are to fulfill their destinies. What does God represent? What are His standards? The law or, or today is Jesus Christ. And, and how does God act? God expects you and I to obey. God expects you and I to be obedient to what He calls us to do. Now, finally, what's the heart of God or the character of God? It is often said that Israel knew the will of God, but knew, Moses knew His ways. What does it mean to know the ways of God? Jesus provides the answer to this question with this revelation. From Luke 6, verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and then not do what I say? In other words, the will and the ways of God are one and the same. In Psalm 119, it says verse 9, a question is raised and answered. The answer is important. How can a young person stay on the path of purity by living according to your word? I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commandments. These verses again demonstrate the singleness of the will and way of God. The writer desires to keep his way pure. This literally means he wants to keep his heart right. This is accomplished by living according to the Word of God. You know, what I talked about earlier, we all make mistakes. I shared with you about a mistake I made that will live on. But what God looks at, He looks looks at our hearts, man, and if we recognize we made a mistake, and we say, Lord, forgive me for that mistake confess it as sin, do you know He'll forgive us? See, God's, God looks at our hearts as man. He knows, especially today, men, it's hard to live today in this world when you think about it, what's going on. It was good for me to go on vacation because I saw a whole other world I don't see. I see how people act and how how people talk and and uh, of course when you're on the grounds of that where that ark is it's all Christian yeah. you know and that's that's wonderful but then you got to get back on the freeway and get back into life again <laughs> but you know we we, we got to realize that there's a world out there and uh, we as men of God we owe it to our family if we blow it just repent Say, repent. repent. Don't forget, if you make a mistake, God's love is unconditional. He'll forgive you. He'll forgive me. And then go on. He'll give you another opportunity. He says, um, these verses that I just read from Psalm 119, <clears throat> again, demonstrate the singleness of the will and way of God. The writer desires to keep his way pure. This literally means he wants to keep his heart right. Do you want to keep your heart right? I do. This is accomplished by living according to the Word of God. The writer continues by declaring his sincere desire. His sincere desire is to hide the Father's Word in his heart. The result of this commitment empowers him... To not sin against God. The man that lives according to the word of God and truly hides his word in his heart is more likely to walk in obedience. Now, if you don't put the word of God in your heart, you're going to open up yourself to disobedience. And sometimes you and I... How many of you realize there are times you know you're not getting enough word? Yeah. (laughs) Life's busy, responsibilities, whatever. God understands that. But you've got to come to the point where there's, there's times I realize, hey, I've got to spend more time in prayer. I've got to put more word in my heart. And if you do that, you're more likely to obey. That's what the, the author is saying here. Matthew and his gospel shares this insight. For where your treasure is is where your heart will be also. When God becomes a man's treasure that man's heart will be captured by his word. Let me say that again. When God becomes (coughs) a man's treasure... That man's heart will be captured by his word. The father is seeking after this kind of man. They're, these are the kinds of fathers that sons need. These are the kinds of leaders for which the world is looking for. Yes, these are even the kinds of husbands for which wives are praying. The world is full of men who are being rejected by their heavenly father. Too many men like Saul have allowed rebellion and pride to overshadow the father's heart in their lives. Far too many sons have succumbed to the pressures and influences of this present age. They lack the example of a true father and as a result have no true perception of manhood. In similar fashion, too many sons have followed after false images and negative portrayals of manhood. They have compromised their t- potential by submitting to the pressures of their environment. I, wa- <coughs> I want to the I don't know who was with me, one Caleb or Kaylee or somebody. I hadn't seen this in a long time. And I had to look again. There was a man, a young man, and no kidding. His britches. I know this is how you wore your britches, Brian, back in the 70s. His britches were down here. You could see his underwear. I mean, I thought, I looked again am I seeing things his britches were down here and (coughs) Caleb or Mike I don't remember who was with me spoke up and said you don't see that much anymore but I'm thinking to myself wonder if that's probably the way his daddy wore his britches I probably didn't even have a daddy to teach him how to pull up his britches man I couldn't do that if that was me they'd be down on the ground He didn't even have a belt on. What did he look? He looked stupid. And I wanted to roll down the window and say, stupid. Maybe if, if all you ever do is teach your kid how to keep his pants up, you've done something. I don't know. But there are a lot of people out there, a lot of young men out there that haven't been influenced by their fathers. If they have, then it's been negative. Amen? Amen. Let me find out where I left off here. Um, It says, Saul was called to be a leader. Saul's purpose as king was to represent the lordship of the father to the nation he was now responsible to lead. These men desperately needed a godly leader, a spiritual father in their lives. The sad reality is men need leaders too. The challenge faced in this current day is that young men are not able to identify their leaders. Sons are not able to identify their own fathers. In addition, many sons who know their fathers do not respect them because they've never truly touched their lives when they needed it most. Far too many sons are entering adulthood without ever having been prepared for manhood. Thus, we're not surprised that young men today have failed to duplicate the examples of generations past. <clears throat> it's been said that an entire generation of young men have already been lost. That's sad. There's much work to do to abort this trend and rescue the man of the future from this narrative of today. If one was to meditate seriously about the transition of the family, he might realize that just two generations ago, the challenges faced today did not exist. In contrast, it was normal to have a father in the home. Marriages were the norm. The divorce was the exception. In fact, many couples known as great-grandparents and grandparents were married for over 50 years. It is more than a challenge to find marriages today that have survived survived the test of time. Teenage pregnancy was not a social crisis. Those days of the past were characterized by mature children who valued family and assumed responsibility, understanding the simple truth that hard work was necessary and sacrifice was required. Think about it. Parents have always spoiled their children. But the children of those parents did not have the entitlement mentality of youth today. You understand what I'm saying? And that's prevalent. The children representing past generations were accustomed to hand-me-downs and everything did not have to be new. These are real problems demanding real answers. I went into I went down to Home when I took Mike and I went to the shopping center, I went to get a coffee, and I walked in the coffee place. It was I I don't go to I don't buy I go to usually McDonald's, but it was a scooter's. I'd never been into a scooters. And I thought, oh, I'm going to buy a coffee, a small coffee, and it cost me like three-something. I about <laughs> fell over. Yeah. But here were these young girls in front of me, whipping out their carbs, and the total bill for the coffee was $17. I'm thinking, and they didn't look like they had much. But that's how they live today. Whip out that card and pay for it. Charge it. We'll pay for it another day. Well, they're going to pay for it another day. But that's... Young people today, you know... Do you you understand what I'm saying? That mentality, that entitlement mentality. They, You know, mom and dad will pay for it and take care of it. And yeah, I like to spoil my kids, and I'm good to my sons. And you're good to your kids. But there comes a point where you're not really doing them a, 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 a service if you don't teach them how to work. Amen. Amen. The absence of fathers, I'm almost done. The absence of fathers in the home and the confusion surrounding manhood only adds to the crisis. If this present onslaught is to be turned back, it will demand the restoration of the male man. Once again, fathers must take their place in the home. Men must take their places in the church, in the workplaces, in society at large. Simply put, men must again find their purposes and realize their identities. This can only be accomplished by example and nurturing. May the father of all mankind move quickly to anoint and raise up the next generations of Davids who are to replace and correct the failures of the generation of Saul's. This was the cry of the Old Testament prophet Malachi, who proclaimed the heart of the eternal God when he wrote, Malachi 4, Remember the law of my servant Moses and decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse." It is obvious that David grew up in the background of his older brothers. He was never considered a leader because of his age. Even as his brother got older, the fact that he was also aging was never a factor considered in his own development as a man. Now, I never thought about this. Listen closely as I read this. His father, Jesse, was apparently proud of all his sons, but when it came to a father's covering, David simply found himself outside of his father's consciousness. I never looked at it this way. This is nowhere more apparent than when his family was visited by the prophet Samuel. When the sons of Jesse were, rep- or were presented before the prophet of God, David was not only absent, but forgotten as well. Regardless of the rationale, this did not appear to be a one-time oversight, but rather a reoccurring tragedy. David found himself outside the covering of his father had he gotten accustomed to always being an afterthought. Far too many sons and daughters have asked the same question today. When they attempt to surmise the priorities of their fathers, they're consistently confronted with the possibility that they too have been forgotten. In their confusion, they misunderstand their need for a father's covering from their fathers. Because of their frustration, they find themselves distanced from fathers who find the time for work but never find quality time for them. How can sons be expected to uphold the priority to cover their families as fathers when they have never experienced being covered themselves? Let me say that again. How can sons be expected to uphold the priority to cover their families as fathers when they have experienced being covered themselves? I'll I'll tell you this sincerely. That young man I saw with his britches down to his knees, there's not much hope for him as a father. It is apparent that David suffered in his latter years as a father with his own sons. Could this struggle with his own children be the expected manifestation of a wound that never healed? Men and fathers must be awakened to their need to provide covering for their children. Sons must have an example of fatherhood that covers if they are to one day provide covering for their own children. There's no acceptable alternative for men who fail manhood. Husbands who abandon covenant relationships are fathers who consistently miss the opportunities to affirm their sons and daughters. The simple truth remains. There is an unrelenting need for a father's covering. Now, as I read this to you today,